0: We're in Matthew, uh, Matthew's Gospel. We're doing a big series called Jesus is King. Um, and we're looking at what the Apostle Matthew, who is one of Jesus' followers, he's put together all of this you know, first eyewitness account as well as um, stories from others as a portrait, a biography. But it's more than a biography of Jesus' life. It, it's a message. It, it comes with force. It reaches out of the Word and calls us to follow Jesus. Jesus. And that's why we called it Jesus is King. It's not just like a cute biography that you read on a business leader. It's it's a declaration that he is Lord. Uh, and then what we read here has eternal implications as well as implications for right this very moment. Uh, and this passage today um, comes after you know six chapters of Matthew's gospel. Um, so far we've seen that Matthew's been trying to identify Jesus of Nazareth, this person with the Old Testament story, how does it all fit together? We saw that um, Jesus is the, the son of Abraham, he's in that line. He's the son of King David, he's, he's in that line and therefore he is the Messiah, he is the son of God that's come not just to help and not just to heal and not just to cure but he's also come to save us from our sins. Uh, which is what his name means. Jesus means um, my God saves or the Lord saves. Uh, And that's what he's come to do. And then uh, Matthew takes our story um, from these kind of prophetic um, fulfillments into the moment where Jesus is baptized. And in that moment, the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity are revealed and God says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, and Jesus' ministry is inaugurated. He's ready to go. He's been living in somewhat obscurity for 30 years, and then he's ready to go. And the first thing that happens is he's led into the wilderness, into the desert, to be tempted and tried by Satan, to be the new Adam, the Adam that doesn't fall, the Adam that's tempted but stands true and stands sinless. Then he begins his ministry. He starts traveling around Galilee in the area, even down to Jerusalem at times. And as he goes, he preaches. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word repent means to turn from your previous way and start following God's way. For the kingdom is at hand. That's this idea that God's plan throughout all of you know, the Old Testament was to bring together his people into a holy, royal nation with God as the King, where He rules and reigns, and what He says goes. His people live His way, um, just the opposite of what happened in the garden all that time ago. And thousands are following Him. People are being healed miraculously. He's teaching and preaching. And then we come to Matthew chapter 5, and the most famous sermon ever delivered, Jesus' so-called Sermon on the Mount, kind of resembles Moses with the Israelites when um, they're between the Promised Land and Egypt and the Ten Commandments are shared. It's a similar moment to that. But you've got a picture, when we come to this passage today, <clears throat> the, the sort of 12 disciples whom he's gathered, plus potentially thousands crowding around, gathering around, who've been following Jesus. And then Jesus comes and delivers what you could call the manifesto of the kingdom. Not the communist manifesto or some kind of you know, constitution, the declaration, or, but the manifesto of what it means to be a follower of him. He comes as a, the new prophet, priest, and king. He comes to declare this is God's way. And throughout this manifesto, he, he kind of always draws this divide between there's only two ways, the way of the kingdom and the way of this world. He says that if you want to enter the kingdom, you must be a humble, meek, poor in spirit type of person. He says that if you want to be a person of the kingdom, you need to not follow man-made teachings about the Bible. You've heard that it was said, um, the rabbis used to teach uh, like legalistic ways of obeying the commandments. But Jesus takes all the Old Testament law and takes it to its very heart, which is to be like God. And he ends the chapter 5 by saying, you must be perfect, because your heavenly Father is perfect. Which should have left the listeners absolutely, you know, just... Uh, well, We've got no hope. Uh, That's the humble response to those laws, is like, I can't do it. Then he continues in chapter 6 to basically divide two ways of worshipping God. There's the way of the flesh and another way of the kingdom. The way of the flesh seeks God, sort of, but actually seeks the approval of man. He tells these stories of people praying, but praying with one eye open to see who's looking. Of people giving but sounding trumpets so that everyone knows how much they put in the go forward fund. People fasting and bent over, Um, and they're actually doing all their religious observances so that people will see them. And Jesus says, "If you do that, your reward is only here in heaven. You don't have uh, here on earth. You don't have a reward in heaven." Then he continues into the last passage we looked at, and he goes from sort of their their worship practices um, to their very heart. And he talks about the reality that you can only serve one master, God or money. You can only invest in one kingdom, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of earth. And with that background, we come to our text today. Let us read Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then our text for today. Therefore... anything oh sorry I think I skipped it therefore do not be anxious about anything saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Our God and Father, may you bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If I gave you uh, one of those little yellow stacks of post-it notes and a a big, you know, chisel point pen and told you to write down everything you're currently anxious about right now or worried about right now and stick it on your body, (laughs) what would you look like? Would you look like a little walking cheese stick or SpongeBob SquarePants or something just so full of yellow? All these cares and, and anxieties that build up in our life. Would you describe yourself as a worried or anxious person, perhaps? Now, there are various species, you could say, of worry. Worries about our health, our physical well-being. Then we have worries about our our career and our progress. We have worries about our friends. We have worries about our finances. We have worries about our reputation. We have worries... Multiply. They seem to grow. They seem to um, go forth. But the particular species of worry that Jesus is addressing in this passage is the type of worry that gets in the way of living for the kingdom. It's the type of worry that says, if I really follow Jesus and go all in for him and my church, will I be okay? Will I have enough? Will my needs be cared for? Will I be safe, secure, comfortable and happy? It's the type of worry, that kind of gut churn that arises when the Go Forward Fund is announced. and You think and you're feeling it out and you're thinking, how much should I give? <laughs> Will I have enough if I do this much? Or maybe that's just me. It's the type of worry that can sometimes look practical and wise, but at its core, it is a worry that divides the very allegiance of our hearts to God, a most serious species of worry, a worry which gets in the way of the kingdom. In verses 19 to 24, Jesus goes after covetousness, this This worry, this desire, this seeking of earthly treasure. And he says, make your treasure in heaven. You can't serve both God and money. But in verses 25 to 34, Jesus goes after the the worry of carefulness. The worry of comfort and security that gets in the way of the kingdom. And in this passage, we get to see a beautiful thing. We get to see Pastor Jesus, care for his new flock. There's thousands of people there. He has a roving itinerant ministry. To join him is to potentially throw your entire life on the line. To not know where your next meal is going to come from. To not know if the clothing you have will get you through this next winter whether you'll die of exposure, whether you'll die of starvation. They're very real concerns of the people he's calling to follow him. And we get to see Jesus kind of lean forward on the sermon and and pastor the particular sheep that are around him. You get this sense that they want to follow him. They want to be in the kingdom. They, They don't want to serve themselves. They want to know about him but he begins to anticipate what they are feeling. And so like a good pastor, like a good shepherd with scared sheep, he leans in and he begins to pastor them, not just by saying, don't worry, seek the kingdom. But instead he gives us these 10 verses and walks us on a journey to help our hearts align with the kingdom, to cure our worry to transform it and so this is what we're going to do today we're going to be pastored by king jesus and we're going to let him go after our worry the type of worry in particular to make clear that stops us from really serving the lord the types of worries that hold us back from kingdom living from mission from giving from serving, from caring, from being vulnerable. Two points. Jesus cures our worries. And Jesus transforms our worries. And one main idea that I think this passage goes after in our hearts. Our earthly worries are cured by knowing our Father and transformed by seeking His kingdom. Our earthly worries are cured by knowing our Father and transformed by seeking His kingdom. Let's see how we get there. Point number one, Jesus cures our worries. How do you deal with your anxiety? What do you do to deal with your worries? I didn't actually know that I was an anxious person. I I didn't think I was. I didn't realize just how much anxiety ruled my life. I thought the constant gut churning was just natural and normal. I thought the twizzling of my hair when I was stressed or biting my nails, that that was just what you do. But what what I've come to realize over the past five or six years of my Christian life is that actually these physical symptoms were revealing something about my heart that I am an anxious person. I am prone to anxiety. And my two most common ways of dealing with my anxiety are to suppress it, so just to move on. Like, don't think about it, just do something else. Which can work for a time, unless it's too big and it starts to bottle out. It starts to come out. um, And my family can see that. When I try and suppress my anxiety, I don't deal with it. What happens? I start to become angry, irritable, short, frustrated that's how you kind of know you're getting worried is like you're being a bad person. Right? And one of the things that my wife and I say to each other when we're being particularly annoying or frustrated or unkind to be just say, "Are you worried about something?" And often that helps us go, "Oh, I didn't realize I was carrying all this concern." The second way you can deal with your worry is to obsess and stew on it, to think about it, to stay up all night ruminating of I shouldn't have said that sentence. Ah, oh. What if I just didn't do that? You're such an idiot. Ah, what if I and this kind of stewing worry, this, this rock in your shoe that you just cannot get out. It doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter how much you think about it, you can't comfort it, you can't quiet your soul. Well, let's see what Jesus, Pastor Jesus, does for our worries. Those worries that limit us from following him. Read verse 25 with me again. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The first thing that Jesus does to cure our worries in this passage is he actually engages with them. He goes after their hearts. He, he anticipates their fears. He anticipates the, that when he says, follow me, we are going to start to go, oh, <laughs> really, uh, all of me, uh, every part of me, my whole life, are you sure? What if, what if, what if? He anticipates the fear and then he starts to engage with it. He sees, he identifies it. Ah, oh, you're anxious. Okay, and, and, and it can look a bit like he's just being Bible thumper. Therefore, do not be anxious. All right, guys. Good good solved okay moving on to the kingdom that's but that's not what he does. He highlights and identifies their anxiety and then he starts to examine it and look at what he reveals when he talks about their anxiety he he reveals a number of things firstly he identifies that their anxiety is future oriented isn't our worry we, we live warriors live in the future that's what Ed Welch says warriors live in the future. We start to imagine what will happen. Look at what Jesus says. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or what you will put on. He says, follow me, and they start thinking, but will I have a meal? Will I have bedding? Will I have comfort? Will I have what I want? Anxiety is future-oriented. The second thing he does when he examines our worries is, look at what he he notices, that they're self-centered what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will put on. The common denominator about their anxieties was it was about them. Often our worries reveal our self-centeredness. Our worries reveal that we're the hero of our little movie. And we're, we're staying up late not because we're worried about all the, the poor children Like How many sleepless nights have you had for all the poor children in the world? Maybe some of you. How many sleepless nights have you had because you've got a presentation the next day? Or you've got a poor relationship with someone? The reality is is that our worries reveal our concern for ourselves. What you will eat. We get worried because we're worried about us. We're worried about our story. And then notice that our anxiety reveals what we truly value. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Jesus asked this examination question. He calls his listeners and all of us to examine what is most important. And the reality about our fears is that our fears reveal what we value most. Our fears reveal what we treasure the most, what we think we need. And for these young you know, followers of Jesus, they, they were there. They were ready to lean in. They were ready, perhaps, to give their money away. They were ready to live for kingdom righteousness They worked through those kind of levels and then when the idea of following Jesus around and not having enough, not having what they, even physical security and comfort, it revealed their value systems. I was meeting with a brother recently and he was um, sharing that he works for another church and um, well he actually doesn't work for the church, he volunteers at the church but he works part time in his job so that he has days to serve in his local church. And he works in a big finance role, and he, he, he obviously earns a good wicket so that he can work part-time and take time off. But he deliberately lowers his standard of living and his progress in career and future so that he can be devoted to serving other people and serving the church. And the people at his work are so confused because they're like, why would you... You can work full-time. Why don't you? You, you can move up. You can get more money. And he often replies to them, there's things more important in life than that. And I want to give myself to that. And then little seeds are sown. And and that's what Jesus is sort of asking us. Is not life more important? Are there things more important than what we think we really need or want? He makes us examine our worries. When you're anxious... What is it revealing about your concerns? What is it revealing about your treasures? But again, Jesus isn't just going to say, stop worrying, knock it off. That doesn't work. You know when you reveal something, you're like, I'm really anxious about this. And they say, well, don't worry about it. You know, it's the, the Aussie mantra, no worries. But really that doesn't work, does it? And so Jesus continues in verses 26 to 30 to school his disciples, to cure their fears by taking them to the school of providence. He takes them to the school of the birds and the bushes to teach them a lesson about God our Father. He wants to teach their fears a lesson. When we're worried that if we truly follow Jesus, we won't get what we want or need, We won't have enough. We won't be safe and secure. We won't be comfortable. He says this. And Jesus is outside, and this would have worked a lot better if we were outside, but look up. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. Jesus is directing them to the school of creation, providence, where God is in control of all things and ordering and governing all things. And he wants them to learn an invaluable lesson. Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, is agricultural imagery, nor gather into barns, they don't have superannuation, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? For birds to be provided for, yes, they have to work, and Jesus isn't saying just sit there and do nothing and your Bitcoin will go crazy or something like that. Jesus is saying, yeah, the, the birds work, they work hard. But the only way they get a worm, the only way they get their food, is if the sovereign Heavenly Father, their God, places a worm in their path. And his argument is from the lesser to the greater. If God feeds magpies by the you know, seemingly million, and the cockatoos, and the, the pigeons, and the, you know, those flying rats, if God feeds them, of how much more value are you than they? Will he not provide what you need? And then verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? By sweating and worrying, uh, the translation is a bit unclear whether it's hours to life or extra inches of height, which would be epic. If you could worry and grow 18 inches, that would be awesome for basketball with Shinu on Saturday at (laughs) 3pm. But what what does our worrying produce? It's, it's, It's futile. Now, to some degree, it can help us and can make us wise and concerning, but in the end, God has already determined the day you will die. You can't add to it. You can't live longer. That's not very comforting. Or Maybe it is. Or maybe it is. I mean, that's the point. It's like God's in control. Verse 28, the next kind of school. And why are you anxious about clothing? Now, he's not talking about, like, looking cool, okay? <laughs> In the ancient world, subsistence economy, they had very few amount of clothes. The clothes that they wore were protection from the elements. If you didn't have the right clothing, you'd be burned or you'd freeze and you'd die. Clothing for them was not something you could just run down to Kmart and get an $8 shirt if you were needy. Clothing for them was extremely valuable, often passed on through generations. You couldn't... If you lost a piece of clothing, you, you couldn't just... Make a new one. You didn't have, they didn't have that disposable income. So it's right, you could say. But Jesus, we need clothes, right? Well, consider the lilies of the field. These kind of Palestinian wildflowers that spring up. We see beautiful colours. They neither toil. They don't go out and collect these linens and fibres and fabrics. They don't spin. They're not in the home with a loom making clothes. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? There's beautiful images, the the, the school of providence, that God, the sovereign one, is in control of all things. And if he controls the... Just the budding of a beautiful flower and the intricate, you know, cell structure to make that colour come out and be really beautiful. Will he not care for you? He made you. He, he designed you. He purposed that you would exist right now. So how do we cure that rising anxiety, that worldly worry that competes with concern for the kingdom? Well, he finishes in verses 31 to 32 his kind of section here. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Wheat. Eat wheat, that's what you'll eat. What shall we eat? Unless you're gluten free, like me, and then you don't eat wheat. What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. The point that Jesus is making is that the cure for our worries comes not in the provision of what we think we need, but in the knowledge of God, our Heavenly Father. He takes them to the school of providence and shows them that God loves them and cares for them because He cares for even little birds and little flowers. And we are far more valuable. The cure for our worries is knowing that God is our Father. He's not just God, sovereign God, created God, almighty God, majestic God, but Father God for those who call on Him. Is it not true that when we are most worried and anxious... We lose sight of God's fatherly care. We begin to think, I've got to get it done. I've got to make it happen. I've got to provide. I've got to secure myself. I've got to get it right. And We lose the sight of the knowledge of God our Father. And this is why Jesus brings in this distinction in verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. The the pagans, those who don't follow God, those who aren't in the kingdom, what do they do? Their life's pursuit is their security, their comfort, and their happiness. And when it's threatened, when fear threatens their security, their comfort, and their happiness, they start to make pagan sacrifices to the God of rain, to the God of the storm, to the God of, you know, the, the sun. The Gentiles, pagans, that's what they literally did. And yet we're not so far from them. We may not worship Baal so that our harvest comes in strong. But when our real values are threatened, how quickly do we turn to false comforts rather than our Heavenly Father? Ed Welch says it like this. The real issue behind our worry is that of spiritual allegiances. When everything is going well and the storehouses are full, We trust him. But when there is nothing for tomorrow, we panic and track down the address of another God who can give us enough for tomorrow and the next day too. Our worries reveal what we value. Our worries are a test for our spiritual allegiance. And Jesus pastoring his little flock, or pretty big flock, and pastoring us today is inviting us to know this fundamental truth which cures our worries. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. He knows and he loves you and he will provide. He will provide what you need. If you are not trusting in God presently, you're seeking security, comfort and ease whether you're a believer or not, this is also an invitation to you. The Heavenly Father can provide for you. Your worry and stress and inner turmoil can be found cured, not instantly, it's not like, oh, God knows, okay, I don't feel anxious anymore. But it can be cured by constantly coming back and submitting your needs to the Father rather than running off trying to figure it out on your own. And Jesus here isn't condemning worry as such, but what we do with our worries, where we turn with our worries. And so he says, your heavenly Father knows that you need it. Our earthly worries are cured by knowing our heavenly Father and transformed by seeking his kingdom. As a good pastor, though, Jesus doesn't just want us to have temporary relief. He doesn't just want his followers to experience a sort of, oh, yeah, I don't need. uh, If God does, yes, okay, I can follow you, Jesus, because my cares are cared for. Okay, thank you, Lord. I I cast them to you. Uh, I put my cares into your hands. I pray. (sighs) I can can work again today. I can live again today because I know he cares for me. Jesus actually wants more for us than just temporary curing of our anxiety. He wants to transform it. And that leads us to point number two. Jesus transforms our worries. Remember, our worries speak. Our anxieties have a voice. And they are a voice which cries out, this is what I value. This is what I need. This is what I love. This is what is most important to me safety, perhaps, security, health, approval, comfort, luxury, belonging. Our worries speak. And so the ultimate way to cure our worry is to change our desires, is to actually change our whole value system. And that's where Jesus goes next. Read verse 33. But. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The Gentiles seek comfort and life and food and clothing, and they worry about all those things. But for the follower of Jesus, he calls us to transform our values to seek first the kingdom To value the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign, His active presence in our life and the life of others and in this world as the most central and essential and important thing. Seek first the kingdom. Not third or fourth, not if you have time, not if it fits into your schedule, but seek first, of utmost importance, the kingdom. This language of seeking, again, it's heart language. Our hearts seek, our hearts rest, our hearts go after. And so Jesus is saying, put your heart into God's kingdom. Give him, make him your most valuable treasure. And there are only two options. You either seek the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God and his righteousness, or you are seeking the world. There is no third alternative. You are either seeking the kingdom of heaven first or seeking the kingdom of this world first. Which one is it for you? Which one is it for me? It's it's so hard. It's a constant and daily battle for our hearts. Who will be God? Who will be your God? God, the Father. Or you? Will you orchestrate and rule your life so that your kingdom desires are accomplished? Which one will it be? What does it mean, though, to seek first the kingdom? It's kind of like Christian jargon. We hear, it, you know, I want to do this, but seek first the kingdom. I think John Stock gives us a helpful description of what it would actually look like to truly value the kingdom of God and therefore reorient the purposes and priorities of our life around it. What does it look like? Well, John Stott said this in his commentary. To seek first this kingdom is to desire as of first importance the spread of the reign of Jesus Christ. Your heart yearns, is captivated, is drawn by a jealousy for the name of King Jesus to be raised in your life and in your city. Such a desire will start with ourselves until every single department of our life, home, marriage and family, personal morality, professional life and business ethics, bank balance, tax return, lifestyle, citizenship is joyfully and freely submissive to Christ. Every department, and it begins with us. So don't look around, other people saying, "Oh I'm not sure they're seeking first the kingdom." No <laughs> Look at yourself. Every department raising that banner, Jesus is king, and a life which actually reflects it. He continues. It will continue then in our immediate environment with the acceptance of evangelistic responsibility towards our relatives, colleagues, neighbours and friends. And it will also reach out in global concern for the missionary witness of the church. To seek first the kingdom is to love the king and to want everyone to know him and to want him to be famous, to want him to be the hero, to want his will to be done. The very prayer earlier we prayed Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Not my kingdom come, my will be done. What would this look like practically? Now, I hesitate. I spoke with Maddie. Should I share this illustration or not? Um, Because I, I don't want to communicate the wrong message. But I think there can be a sort of disconnect between, you know, the... the the subsistence concerns of the first century church that didn't know where their next meal was coming from and us who have pantries and the clothing concerns of the first century church and us who have fast fashion. You know, you can have something on the runway in Milan on Tuesday and it's in H&M on Thursday, basically. Different world we live in. But one example I did think of, which could really tie in to this worry, this concern for ourselves that might push out the kingdom is the idea of insurance. Insurance. Now, I'm not against insurance. I have insurance. Um, If you crash into my car, I don't want to buy a new one. I'll let the insurance company buy me a new one. But insurance in one essence is our version of this need for security and clothing that the disciples were tempted to choose over the kingdom. Insurance is investing our money now against the possible risk in the future that something bad may happen that we won't have the money to pay for. So that's what the disciples are sort of worried about. If I follow Jesus now, will I have clothes in the future? Well, when we take out an insurance policy, we're saying, if I give money to this company now, if something bad happens in the future, then I'll have the security I need. Now, Insurance is wise. We have insurance as a church. Again, so let me just clarify. I'm not saying cancel your insurance policies. However, imagine this scenario. What would you do if after you did all your budgeting, you lived a modest life, you skimped and saved in every single way, and then you realize that you have to choose between your insurance premiums for life insurance or car insurance, health insurance. You have to choose between your insurance premiums or giving to God. You've done everything. You're living a modest life. But you have to make a choice. Will I pay this premium or will I give? What would you do? That's the kind of decision the disciples were having to make. Will we go all in and have to trust that if something goes wrong, Our backstop is not our bank account, but our Heavenly Father. What would you do? What would it look like to seek first the kingdom? If you put the kingdom first, what decision would you make? And we'd be thinking, but what if there's a car crash? What if there's an emergency medical? What if, what if, what if? It's a hard one, isn't it? Do you really trust that God will provide your needs? Not your luxuries, not your wants, not your preferences, but your needs. He says, seek first the kingdom and all these will be provided to you also. These kind of decisions are what Ed Welch calls the crossroads of the kingdoms. Where we have to decide which way am I going to go? I've only got two options. Which way am I going? It's sort of like, the Christian life is sort of like we're water skiing in shark-infested waters. That's the, the world. God's driving the boat. We're holding on. and We've only got one option. To hold on or to let go because we're too scared. But if we let go, well, we're not going super fast along the speedboat anymore, but we're in shark-infested waters. We don't really have a choice. We... we we have to seek first the kingdom and go wherever the king takes us, no matter what happens. And if we let go to try and look after ourselves because we're too afraid, we're in the dangerous waters. Knowing the Father's care can cure our worry in the thick of it. it may not solve it. It may not take away all those gut anxiety feelings and you know we have broken bodies and broken minds some of us particularly struggle with anxieties in ways that you just can't seem to beat. okay I'm not that Jesus isn't like slapping you in the head right now and saying don't be anxious but he's saying to you go to your father this will help this will cure your worries if your worry is getting in the way of the kingdom your father will provide You're anticipating all these things that you'll miss out on and won't happen. He will provide. But then he goes further. He wants to transform our worries so that we are jealous and zealous and seeking the kingdom first. And then everything else has its priority. Then our life can have its priority. Our insurance can have its priority. Our our pursuits can have their priority if the kingdom is first. Our earthly worries are cured by knowing our Father and transformed by seeking his kingdom. And notice what Jesus has done here. He's followed the three-step process that the New Testament follows for growing in holiness. Put off put off the old self. Do not be anxious. Do not be like the Gentiles who seek after these things. Renew your mind. How do we renew our mind? Well, we look to the birds and we look to the bushes and we go, ah, God cares for them. I have a heavenly father. I will be provided for. And then he says, put on. Put on the new clothing, the seeking of the kingdom. And this will transform our value system. And then one last word, and we'll end on this. Sort of, you can almost imagine Jesus smiling as he said this to this scared flock Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Friends, there's no grace for your imagination. You have to live day by day. I have to live day by day. We seek the kingdom today and we allow God to worry about tomorrow. It doesn't mean we don't plan or be prudent or wise or, you know, all those things but it does mean that we cannot put the kingdom of this earth before the kingdom of heaven. Daniel Doriani says, Jesus' analogy promises God's care, but not a care-free life. It will not be easy. There's no promise of that. Jesus' life is evidence of seeking the kingdom does not end well. But he invites us on the adventure, the adventure of faith, the adventure of a lifetime, to seek the king and his kingdom that his glory may resound in our suburbs, in our streets, in our city, all for his praise. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray and ask that you would cure our worry by helping us to know that you're our father. You care for us. You will provide. You will give us what we need. And Lord, would you transform our worry and anxiety to stop being so focused on ourselves and our little pursuits and our comforts and our our way. But Lord, as as a church, would we be consumed by, would we be zealous for, would we be taken up with a single-minded pursuit to seek first the kingdom and righteousness? And will we trust you to provide everything else along the way? When we're worried, may we turn to you. And may we be cured and transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and respond in song.